Music on Mushrooms, a safe space for artists and musicians to explore the endless possibilities of creative expression. Hello everyone, I'm Mary Cray and welcome back to Music on Mushrooms. Today I am joined by Hannah McEckern. She is the co-founder of an exciting new project here in Boston called QTC, the Queer Theatre Collective. We're going to be talking today a lot about the importance of queer visibility in artistic spaces, and I think conversations like these are super valuable. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to you about this because on Instagram, I saw um, your post about a questionnaire um, and I am a queer artist. So I was like, I need to click on this. I need to get involved. And so I'm so excited to learn more about this company that you co-founded. So what is your background in the arts and kind of your directing experience as well? I'm very curious about that. Sure. So as a director, I specialize in directing new and comedic straight plays. Um, it can be just a comedy that's already written but I honestly really love working on new work and that is what QTC is based in which we'll talk about later um, I just really love developing the a script with a playwright um, I think that plays that are both witty and socially conscious are really awesome and I genuinely believe that uh, comedy has the power to change minds and hearts so like working on plays that actually entertain an audience while making a difference in their lives is really important to me and and I also think they're like more fun to direct, like getting to laugh and play in a rehearsal room with like skilled comedic actors is genuinely the tea. Like that is the coolest experience ever. Um, in terms of my background, I've always really just been within the performing arts. Um, I started in TV and film acting when I was a kid. Um, I am technically still in SAG-AFTRA, so Go Union, go yes. strike. Um, <laughs> uh, I went into the acting program at Emerson um, when I went into college, and I eventually switched my major so that I could take more directing classes and prepare to get my MFA. Um, so I've been directing for seven years. I really attribute like my early interest into directing um, to my professor who taught my sophomore scene study class. Her name's Lindsay Beamish. She's the coolest person ever and was just really um, encouraging when I would like critique my classmates' work, which I liked doing much better than actually doing it myself. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and then uh, my early directing mentors were like Spiro Valudos from Lyric Stage Company um, and Joe Anton. Both of them taught me at Emerson. Um, so I have my theater and performance BFA from Emerson, and then I went on to get my master's in theater directing specifically at Napier University in Scotland, um, and that's in Edinburgh. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah, thank you. I didn't know that. Wow, what was it like living abroad? Oh, God, it was wild. It was so wild. Um, creating a life for yourself in a different country, like whether the language is the same or not, like creating a life in a different country is genuinely so hard, but so rewarding. Um, and I did have a really great 
experience, especially in my second year when I got to develop a play with a really cool playwright and an all-woman cast. So that was my professional directing debut, which was in the Fringe Festival in 2021. So we had the world premiere of After Party with our company, F-Bomb Theater, which we this was my second time founding a company, I guess you could say, for QTC, but like F-Bomb Theater was the first theater company that I helped found. Um, so that was a really, really cool experience. Yeah, I didn't know all of that. So I'm like basking in all of your amazingness. Oh, thank you. How long did you live abroad? So the program itself was two years, but it was over the pandemic, unfortunately. So I was maybe out there between 16 to 18 months accumulatively, but it was like broken up by a couple different stints at home. Wow. Would you ever go back or consider going abroad again to like live or just travel and do the thing in general? Um, I don't think I would like to live abroad again. Not going to be like, not even going to lie to you. Like I, I did it. I, I did the thing. Um, and I'm very, very glad that I did. But, um, so many times over the duration of my program, I knew that I wanted to be back home in Boston and I knew that I wanted to actually be working at Emerson where I'm working now. Um, so while I loved my experience and I would love to continue traveling, I'd love to go back to the Fringe Festival uh, like multiple times. I would love to do that and I'd love to take things to the Fringe Festival from home. Um, but I don't think that I would want to live abroad again, no. Yeah. Okay. That's understandable. Cause I'm in that mindset where I haven't like, <laughs> I haven't lived abroad. I have studied abroad for like a month, but I haven't lived abroad. And I'm like, I really genuinely just want to give it a try eventually, but I have to learn German first. Um, just like brush up on my skills, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, fair, honestly, like I, I would absolutely recommend to anyone that can, I know it's, it's a massive privilege to be able to do that. It's a lot of money. It's a yeah. whole thing. Um, but for anyone that can, if you're like, if you're going abroad to study or if you're just going to live, I would highly recommend it because it genuinely, you gain so many skills just as an adult living abroad in a new place. Like the amount of like things that I had never done at home, like um, get my own doctor, like just like random things, like have my own phone plan crazy like just random things that I had never really like done before as an adult because I was 23 like I did all of those things for myself and figured it out and I'm so grateful I had that experience because it made figuring shit out at home so much easier <laughs> yeah for sure that that makes so much sense and I feel like a lot of the times especially as musicians there's so many abroad um, opportunities for us to take. So if you're an undergrad or in graduate school and the opportunity presents itself, um, don't say no just because, you know, just because you're scared. You know, that's not a good enough reason. I swear, mama. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, though. 
Yeah, and I kind of want to talk about what I talked about in the intro with you. Um, you're also a tarot reader, which I think is so fun. Um, you and I met when you went to go see Teddy perform in Figaro, and we went out to for drinks afterwards. And yeah, we got to talking about our, our shared interest in tarot. Um, and I'm so interested in, in hearing this because I'm a very spiritual person myself, and it really influences how I show up as an artist. And so I want to hear your perspective on that. Um, how does your spirituality influence your artistry? Yes, um, I love talking about spirituality and about tarot specifically. I think it's such a cool tool to use, especially when it comes to just like figuring yourself out. I think that tarot is a great tool to use personally, um, but I also really love reading for others and being a little bit of a life coach in that aspect. Um, I think my spirituality really helped me become more confident in my abilities to lead and tell stories and um, just like be more of myself. And I think it helps me show up authentically when it comes to leading a room. Um, like spirituality is a huge part of me and like my passion for theater and new stories like those are all a big part of me and I think like spirituality specifically and like awakening to who you want to be in this world is so important when it comes to your artist's journey and it actually helps you be a lot more authentic and um, think more clearly about the stories that you want to be a part of telling um, so I think that it influences my artistry just in like how I choose what I want to do. My biggest main focus to um, in a room is like to connect deeply with my collaborators and to the story that we're telling. And I think that my spirituality has helped me deeply connect to myself. And when you deeply connect to yourself, you have a bigger capacity to connect deeply to others and to others' stories. Um, so I think it, it really opens you up to a, a deeper understanding of the work and of being an artist and how you can use your voice to actually touch others' lives when it comes to uh, a production or a play or whatever it is. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of that kind of um, resonates with me. Um, I feel like you probably relate to this, but a big part of being a spiritual um, artist is following your intuition, even if you don't know why the intuitive thought is coming up. Um, it's just a matter of trusting and trusting in the feeling as well. Um, trust where the vibes take you, <laughs> you know, and I'm sure that's something you can relate to because I've had instances in my own career where I was kind of going through, you know, there's two paths in front of, in front of me and I could take one and I could take the other. And then it was a really hard choice, but I decided to take the one quote unquote, you know, less taken. And that was because my intuition was calling me to do it. Um, and it was very scary. <laughs> Sometimes that's what you do. I'm curious, is there um, an instance in your journey that you can recognize, um, in your artistic journey specifically, where intuition took you in a direction where you didn't expect? Uh, starting this theater company. Yeah? How so? No, like quite literally. Um, and, and we can talk about it a little bit more later when we talk about the origins of QTC. But like, I just had this thought to reach out to people on this app to see if playwrights were interested in having their work developed. 
And all of a sudden, it became this idea to start a theater company and to, like, build this database of cool people who are queer theater makers that are looking to collaborate. And I was then faced with, like, I was... I had people divinely placed in my path to help me bring this to fruition. Over the past couple months, it has literally been since, like, the first week of June that I've even been starting this. And we already have so much traction. We already have so many things that are lined up to make this a success. So... I know that all of this was divinely placed into my life. This was a sole purpose. Like, it's not even just something that I think is fun or that, oh, wouldn't it be great if I did this? It's like, no, like, I'm meant to do this. Because every time I talk to someone about it, they're like, oh, my God, yes. Like, we need to do this. I'm like, yes, we do need to do this. I need to do this. I'm bringing this to people that need it. So quite literally doing this, this is what has been divinely placed in my life. And my intuition guided me to it. Absolutely. And I I think I can, I can definitely feel the energy just like beaming through the computer screen right now. I can feel the excitement. I can feel that it's going to be um, a big thing. Thank you. Yeah, of course. All right. I think that's a a great segue into talking about your company, QTC Boston. I am so excited to hear more about this, especially as a queer artist. I want to see representation. Um, I want to see more queer composers having their their works done and queer playwrights and so on and so forth. Um, So can you tell me a little bit more about your company? Since I graduated my master's, I have not had a singular opportunity in the Boston industry to direct. So I I come back from Edinburgh, August 2021, right off of like this amazing show, which may or may not totally did get five star reviews. Yes. And I come back home and it's like it didn't happen, Mary. It's like it didn't happen or something like everyone was like cool (laughs) no like (laughs) so I think like QTC was born out of a need for opportunity but it's also I know that I'm giving opportunity to others like me so any attempt that I made to connect with the theater was brushed aside like all of my like connections weren't coming through for me so for the next like year and a half, I focused on my career at Emerson. I focused on just getting a job, figuring it out. And then uh, the directing thing was going to come later. Like I just wasn't focused on it mostly because I was like feeling bad for myself. And then back in June, I was really struggling with, um, my mental health journey. I was like figuring out medications and stuff. And I was also really struggling with what I correct, what I correctly suspected was ADHD. And, um, a mutual friend like saw my Instagram story. I'm very open about my mental health and that journey on my Instagram story. And we ended up having like a 15 minute phone conversation where they were telling me about, I mean, I know that I can talk about this because this podcast is called music on mushrooms. (laughs) So I know that I can tell you that 
<laughs> part of what we were talking about was psilocybin treatment. Um, and uh, they recommended that I actually look on Lex, which is this queer community building app, uh, for recommendations for psychiatry and mushroom hookups, basically. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, like, get a mushroom plug from Lex, basically. <laughs> and not even gonna lie, literally did. Um, it happened. Hell yeah. But, hell yeah. But the other thing that happened was my intuition said, if I'm getting this many responses to a post about, like, finding a psychiatrist and mushrooms, how many queer artists do you think are on this app? How many queer playwrights, maybe, are on this app? So I was like, oh, I bet, I bet if I just, like, make a post and, like, see what happens, like, maybe some playwrights want to work with me. Like, I really wanted to be, like, developing work with playwrights that I was, like, passionate about. That was my ultimate goal. And I was like, okay, what, we're just going to make the post. We're going to make it. So I made the post, and then all of a sudden, like, after connecting with a bunch of people, it just turned into this idea to create a collective. It turned into a database. And in the beginning of, like, realizing this idea, I was connecting with a fellow Emerson alumni, Ellie Burles. Um, She, her and I met on Lex. She was one of the first people that I talked to. And she was really interested in helping the collective just, like, come to life. So I brought her on as a co-founder. Um, and she's also our new works director. So I'm the artistic director, and she's our new works director. Um, and then we just got to work building the structure of the company and filling out our e-board. So we're basically only two months in, and we have this, like, huge, impressive artist database. Like we have a bunch of e-board members and consultants in place and we're continuing to grow daily. So that's basically like from June to now, that's where we've been and what we've done. Um, Ellie has been such a huge rock for me throughout this process because she has offered so much support, but also like with my ADHD brain, I will fixate so harshly on something where it's like, if this doesn't become a thing in a week, it's not a thing and I will quit. So she was like, you know, this like doesn't have to happen tomorrow. Like we can like start stuff in the fall. And that, I didn't even think about that. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) oh shit, you're so right. Like I can actually take my time and like that then opened my field of view to like oh my god how many more people can we bring in on this how many more people can we add on to our e-board what consultancy positions should we add on to this board like how can we bring in more people to make this bigger and better so right now our mission statement of qtc um So QTC Boston is a queer storytelling collective that uplifts the voices of and provides a platform for LGBTQ plus identifying individuals of all races and abilities within the creative community in Boston. We're changing the future of the theater industry by exclusively programming new works that tell unique stories with which encourage audiences to shift their perspective on what it means to be an active and compassionate member of a community. Beautifully said. I love that. Thank you so much. It was written, the, the first draft of that was written at Rock Bottom uh, on Emerson College's campus. Mm. Uh, Ellie and I did that together. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I truly love that because, you know, especially right now in a time where 
queer people are being just demonized. Um, and it's becoming very, it's more mainstream. It's very frightening. They're not even hiding it anymore. They're not hiding it anymore. <laughs> um, literally, I feel like we transported into a parallel dimension when Trump got elected and now everybody's just okay with being a bigot. It genuinely blows my mind. And it's frightening and it's, it's really sad because, I mean, as an artist, there's queers everywhere in my life. A queer here, <laughs> a gay there. <laughs> Quite literally. Yeah. Literally. And so this Everywhere. is so important to the artistic community because these people are just being discriminated against left and right and our voices um, need to be heard and they deserve to be heard um, in a safe space. And so I really thank you for seeing your vision through and following your intuition. Can you talk a little bit more about your vision and, and where you see this company going? Sure. So... The collective plans to program two fully realized productions per year, but we also want to be hosting new play workshops that offer audience feedback. And then we are also going to be hosting queer community events like mixers, open mics, just stuff to get people together. Um, I, <laughs> Ellie had this idea to do a mixer and I was like, oh yeah, because literally the only people or the only person that people have been hearing from is me <laughs> so they need to know everyone else um so we're really excited to have our uh, mixer at the end of september that is so exciting i love that yeah. oh also i'm so sorry i totally forgot so ellie as the new works director um she's accomplished an accomplished playwright like award-winning actor playwright like has her own like one woman show that's been touring she's amazing so um she will also be heading up a creative expression cohort that's going to be housed within the collective so it's a group for writers of all mediums who are basically seeking accountability buddies and people to collaborate with as they write their next piece so they're going to meet in person monthly and via zoom on a weekly basis for like collaborative work sessions so that's also something that we're offering we do want to be like basically grand scheme like in the next five years like i want qtc to be the place that queer playwrights specifically bring their work to be developed i want them to like trust in the qtc process that like their voice is going to be upheld and maintained and like their their vision will come to life so that's what i really envision for qtc as like uh a development house kind of is like my thought process because um, we're not doing Shakespeare right like we're not doing the old shit by like we're not doing classic plays um, because we're not represented there and I'm done with the queer adaptations in for plays that don't even celebrate queerness so we're creating new stuff and we are the one-stop shop for queer artists to get their shit made. Yes, that is exactly what my heart needs to hear right now. I'm the kind of person <laughs> that needs new art to be made. I am like out with the old, in with the new kind of girl. I'm over it. I am an opera singer and we hear the same shit over and over and over again. Um, I've heard the show Figaro probably 50 times and Mary you literally did it right after you did it like 
literally I'm, like I, I, was, were you not bored I was were you bored. not like can we just do a different show <laughs> can we do something can else can we do something shorter can, can uh, I leave shorter please <laughs> I will say that is why I appreciated that they did Susanna because that was short as hell and it was actually very well done yes. it was like pretty contemporary for opera dude, and for then real. I went to see Figaro I was like what the heck did I get myself into dude it's like, so yeah it's, <laughs> it's a lot and it's a different time that we live in we don't live in a time where we can spend all day at the fucking theater and we're not there you know like back in the day they would be sitting drinking fucking talking to each other and now we can't do that we have to just sit and be good little girls and boys and watch the fucking opera no (laughs) and that is why whoever created six the musical is brilliant i haven't heard of that oh my god you haven't heard of six okay i'm sending it to you after this it is literally like 75 minutes it's a musical about uh the six dead wives of henry the eighth um you i think you'd really like it actually i you'd get a huge kick out of it it's really good and it's super short and it's really well done no yeah <laughs> i'm like listen uh, the shorter the better. Like there is this one um, Boston Opera Collaborative d- does opera bites, and they're like ten minute short little operas, and it's like an hour and thirty minutes, and I'm just living my best life. And it's it's new works that are being produced by people that are alive, so they can be. <sighs> I'm just like, can can we celebrate and fund people that are still living on this earth? You know what I'm saying? I'm like, these people that, you know, obviously, I'm not saying I love the greats. The reason that I got into opera and classical music is because I love that music and I think it's amazing. But let's focus on the living, why don't we? Let's have a little, a balance. A balance? Is that okay? Yeah, Yeah, like pay a living playwright. How about that? What a concept. Pay a living playwright. Like, I don't know. I think it would be a pretty good idea. For real, like, please. <laughs> no, yeah, and, and um, the whole concept and the cliche of the starving artist is real, you know, and so we should be, I mean, in my opinion, art should be government funded, but um, that ain't gonna happen in America, baby. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> we deserve a salary just like everybody else. Um <laughs> Oh, okay. Let's get back on the track, back on the rails. <laughs> I don't even know how this happened. Um, okay, let's uh, talk about the gays again. Please. <laughs> we are both neurodivergent. It was bound to happen, babe. Like, <laughs> we did so well. Like, we were doing yes. really good. <sighs> we did do so well. Oh, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> All right, we're getting back on track. I really want to know about the um, target audience for productions that are going to be put on by your company. Sure. Um, Yeah, literally everyone. Like, I know that's, like, so annoying, but here's the thing. It's, like, we're a safe haven for the queer community, but we're also a space for allies to learn more and celebrate the community through our storytelling work. So everyone's welcome at our productions and our events, but we maintain a focus on lifting up the voices of the queer community within our work. I love that so much. Yes, it's literally for everyone. Yeah, because like, honestly, the people that should see our work are people who aren't queer, like low key. Like we need we need our, our queer friends to come and see themselves represented in our work. 
but we also need people that don't know anything about the queer community to actually learn about them and realize that they are literally people just like us. Like, I'm sorry. Celebrities, they're just like us. Yes, queers are celebrities, as they should be. Like, genuinely, we're all people. <laughs> and what is, what is a better way to learn that than by seeing a play written by a queer person that... I mean, really, is no different than any other play. And, of course, we also want to be lifting up works that um, talk about queer joy, even queer trauma, like, that unearth a lot of the queer experience. But I also really want to program work that doesn't have anything to do with queerness at all. And, and it's just written by a queer artist that wants to write that story and it's truthful to them. Um, so we, we are the space for everyone to experience the queer community and its art. Yes. Yeah. That kind of also makes me think about, um, you know, there's homophobia in art worlds, but then there's also fat phobia and having a story about, um, a fat person that isn't revolved around their weight would be sick as fuck, bro. <laughs> you know, because that's not, that shit is not uh, out there. But that's why I think like doing work like this is so important because representation matters. And people that say that it doesn't, um, let's take your vitamins, step outside, drink some water. I'm praying for you. <laughs> I'm praying for you. Is that, like is that genuinely. Bitchy? Am I being bitchy? <laughs> Uh, no, you're just being accurate. And honestly, like, the thing is, is that representation is normalization. Yes. Everything, everything in the queer community is normal. And I don't really like the word normal because, I mean, what is normal? It's just a, a social construct. But if we really want to get into, like, oh, like, queerness is, like, so weird. No, it's just people being just people. people. Just people being people. They're just humans. That's it. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think it, you're right. It is important for allies to um, hear these stories because you can't develop an empathy for a community if you don't know their story and you don't know what they go through. And also creating a space where we can lift up these artists and give them a voice is something that is so, so special. And so what do you think is going to be the impact um, of this company on um, the queer community here in Boston? Yeah, I mean, like I've kind of said before, like, we're hungry for representation in new work, for queer representation. And the great thing about new work is that the characters can be written as queer. They can be written however the playwright wants them to be written. They can do whatever the playwright wants them to do. We don't need an adaptation of a Shakespeare show where everyone's queer when queerness was not celebrated or acknowledged in that time period. We don't need, uh, I don't know, an, an Ibsen play where, whatever, the, the doll's house is lesbians. Like, we don't need that, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, we don't need that. What we do need is new work by living people that are breathing and existing in our world right now and actually have something to say. We're not doing queer adaptations anymore. We're actually celebrating and actually like trying to understand queerness. And that 
is what QTC offers, is a place for those stories to be developed and told. We're not just going to be like, oh, great, you have a script. Cool. We're going to work on perfecting it and perfecting your voice. And we want to make sure that that show is something that you are proud of when it goes up or when it goes into a workshop. Um, like I said, I really do hope that queer playwrights see this as like the development house for queer work, because I don't think that there is that yet. And I want to be that because I care so deeply about preserving a playwright's voice. That is one of the pieces of my process as a developer and a director is really preserving the voice and preserving their vision around the piece. That's so important to me because the playwright understands what they want. A director is there to give them what they want and offer some advice, offer a perspective, right? Um, so I think this is something that the queer community hasn't seen before. And I think they'll feel seen in this concept. Yeah, I can, I can definitely see that because it's going to be all eyes on them, baby. <laughs> I mean, it's in the name. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I hope so. I, I hope that um, people look to us for good new work. I hope that when you see a QTC logo on a show poster, you say, oh, I know that's going to be great. Because you know the work that has gone into it. You know that our stamp of support means that that script has gone through an entire process to get to where it is on that show poster. And it kind of makes me, me think that, you know, there's such a... Um... I feel like there's this gap here between the theater world and the classical music world um, in terms of its progression in the modern world, um, because classical music is so rooted in um, traditionalism that traditionalism is more important than inclusivity, which is very um, problematic um, in a lot of ways. And we're seeing pushes against that in small little ways. And because they're so few and far between, you know, they go viral and we make, and it makes it seem like it's actually progressive when it's not. Um, and so I would love to see these kinds of um, representations being happened in, you know, classical music, uh, the classical music world as well, because I think that'd be so important, um, you know, because I'm sure the, th I mean, you can speak more on this because I don't have much experience in the theater world, but how is it in terms of, in terms of, you know, acceptance and uh, progression in the modern age? Um, well, I definitely think that we're doing okay, but God, we have so much more work to do. Um, I mean, we're seeing the an uptick in um, social justice or DEI consultants, um, which I think is very important. Um, and that is actually, we are actually going to be um, looking for a social justice consultant and an accessibility consultant. We are looking for ways to be accessible. Um, and I think that there are a lot of companies like that. Actually, Spectrum Theater Company um, down in Rhode Island in Providence, um, they are a neurodivergent specific theater company. Um, I think 
almost everyone, I think everyone on their board or their like executive or artistic board is neurodivergent. Um, they, they do a new play festival every year with neurodivergent playwrights work. Um, they work with neurodivergent actors and they're also working um, with, I think the ART to start um, building sensory uh, like booths in their audiences um, so that people that are neurodivergent, especially people um, on the autism spectrum, are able to use those when they need to. Um, they're also um, working on different things like um, like a light system where it's like if there's something that's going to be loud, there's a specific light and you can uh, get ready for that. And it's actually like really not at all um interrupting the piece itself um so there are so many things that are happening in the world of accessibility i think um and i would say that spectrum is a leader in that um and they're really really awesome um and i, I do think that there there is a lot of work that's being done within anti-racism and accessibility um especially like company one company one is an amazing example of um accessibility in terms of like finding different places around Boston that are maybe less patronized. Um, the They just did a show at the Strand in Upham's Corner, which is like a place that rarely gets used for shows. And um, they're, they're always, um, their shows are always pay what you can. There's no minimum. Um, I love seeing um, theaters that offer student prices but also pay what you can with like a small minimum of like five or ten dollars something like that I think that that is so important to get people that actually haven't seen theater because of a wage gap um, to get to see theater because it uh, there are so many things like I think it was um the artistic director of Regal Theater, Rachel Bertone, she made a post that was like, we watch so many things on television, we see so many things on Instagram, and we forget them immediately, but think about the last play that you saw. You remember so many things from the last play or musical that you saw, or a musical that you saw five years ago. You remember things from that because you saw it live. You saw the magic of live theater. It's so important to get people in to see live theater because, uh, and when you're telling a story that actually matters, like a story that's uplifting a queer community, oh my God, like that's one of the things that we are really, really focusing on for QTC specifically is like being accessible and um, making sure that we have an eye towards social justice in everything that we do. I think that that is becoming the norm in, I mean, at least smaller theater industries like Boston. Um, but I think that we do have a little ways to go when it comes to the theater industry at large. Um, but I see it a lot. I really do. I see a lot of progressive change, even with um, the stage director and choreographer foundation. Like they have a lot of opportunities. They have um, observerships and, and shadow positions and stuff like that. They And fellowships too. Like they have opportunities that are paid for people to go and uh, learn to be a director or a choreographer. So there's so many honestly like just kind of talking about this it makes me feel really really hopeful for the theater industry and i genuinely hope that the classical industry 
takes a page from the book. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because what you, what you talked about there is just pure inspiration that is inspiring me. And I hope anybody that's listening to this um, is inspired as well, because that's literally how you build a community is you get people to experience art together. And, um, and I think that is so, so special. Why do you think companies like this are so important for the Boston community specifically? I think it is high time that the queer community is recognized for its tremendous contributions to the arts, specifically in theater in Boston. Boston has profited hugely off our queer community for years, especially in the arts. And we are giving our community a space where they feel supported, represented, and celebrated for everything they do not just in the theater industry, but in the Boston community. Yeah, absolutely. Because I feel like um, I'm I'm not from here. I'm from Las Vegas, um, where it's definitely more accepting. Um, I would say generally more progressive than New England in general. Um, so I'm sure that can also kind of factor into the general impact of a project like this being specifically in Boston. And because there are so many artists in Boston, you literally turn a corner and there's another singer. Like, <laughs> you know, it just yeah, doesn't end. Seriously. And I love it. I love it. It's a hot spot for connection. It's a hot spot for networking. Um, and I'm sure that anybody that works with your company is going to be making great connections um, to to kind of beef up, you know, just the resume in general and just to have a good time. All right. So to kind of bring this podcast um, into like its closure. I would love to do a little bit of a tarot reading with you for our listeners. And this is for whoever resonates with this particular reading. Um, So we pulled the card The Fool, and this is a really special card to me because for me it represents hope. So I hope your takeaway, if you're listening to this, is just to kind of have faith in your vision and know that if you have, if you know what you want and you have aligned action that you can achieve what you're hoping for. Mm. I do love the fool card. I think it, it genuinely like it's hope, but it's also like there's such a, such an opportunity for like something new, like with the fool, it's like, forget what you thought you knew open your heart, open your mind, and, like, really be ready to receive something new. Um, And I think that that really, like, it goes with this call. Like, genuinely, it goes with, like, QTC. Like, are we ready to accept something new in the theater industry? Are we ready to accept um, and, and celebrate a new community doing something special for for the Boston theater industry. Um, so yeah, I love that. I love that we got that. Yes. Definitely expecting new things, new abundances to come and show up in your life. Um, if you've worked for it, um, expect it to come. And with that, Um, Thank you so, so much for being on this podcast with me. Um, I'm so happy that I decided to message you out of the blue on Instagram and have this chat with you today. It makes me so happy um, because I really do believe in your vision. Um, I'm very excited to see where this project takes you. Um, And yeah, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I 
We'll keep you updated and keep you posted as QTC continues to evolve. Absolutely. And where can people um, find you? Yeah. So um, on Instagram, my handle is H-A-N-M-C-E-A. All of my all of my babes know that we don't actually try to say my handle um, because I don't even know what it uh, what it is. It's just the first three letters of my first name and the first four letters of my last name, and we don't even try. Um, but you, so that's my handle. But QTC Boston is um, is at QTC Boston, so you can find us there. Um, yeah. We're so excited to have you. (laughs) Thank you so much. And for those of you that are listening, I hope you have a beautiful rest of your day. Um, And please be kind to one another because that's the way to know it. All right. Have a good one, (laughs) y'all. Bye. Bye.